RadioInfluence.com. Welcome back to the Lawfather Podcast. As always, check us out on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, where we keep everything up to date. Uh, as always, we have Tip Tuesday. On Fridays, we have Fact Friday. And then we fill some things in in between. You might find some old episodes of Case or No Case from uh, from the TV days on the show Daytime. Uh, those of you who are watching along with us on video here, you're going to see that there is a gentleman sitting next to me. This is Scott Brown, one of the attorneys in my office. He's our, our newest attorney, so I want to introduce everybody to Scott Brown today. Uh, we just had a big mediation this morning. So thought this was a great opportunity to bring Scott in and learn a little bit more about him. And so let's, uh, let's get to know Scott Brown a little bit. Scott Brown's been with us for uh, how long now? About three, four weeks? Month and a half. Okay. So month and a half. And uh, so getting to know all the little nuances. And uh, like today, we had a case that's been around the office for two and a half years, uh, which sometimes happens when there's cases in litigation. So you got kind of a front row seat into how we handle mediations in this office. But uh, like I said, I want to get to know Scott a little bit. So Scott, where'd you go to law school? Uh, Cooley in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So Scott, you went to school in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, Are you from that area? Uh, from the Chicago area. Where precisely in Chicago? Um, well, I've lived all over uh, Highland Park, Illinois, Lansing, Illinois. Uh, and then I went to high school in Chesterton, Indiana. So for those of us who don't know Chicago all that well, and also for those of us who are big sports fans, the only thing we really know about Chicago is you have the North Side, which are White Sox fans, and the South Side which are Cubs fans, or maybe I have that reversed. So, Scott, tell me a little bit about that. Yep, yep. So you were completely wrong. Um, Northsiders are are the Cubs fans. Uh, I grew up on the north side and also lived on the south side in Lansing. Uh, My father's a White Sox fan, threw a nice no-hitter, Lucas Giolito, last week, so that was nice. Um, And then I lived in Valparaiso, Indiana, which is in northwest Indiana, where uh, if anyone follows college basketball, the – Men's basketball team had a good sweet, uh, it was called the shot, Bryce Drew, um, I forget what year, in the uh, March Madness tournament, like back in the 90s. So, Did you go to undergrad at Valparaiso? No. Uh, went to a couple, actually. I started off at Indiana State, uh, then I went to Indiana University in Bloomington, and then finished up at a Indiana satellite campus back up at home. So Indiana University, I think, was there some predominant NBA players who have come through Indiana University? Uh, one or two, Isaiah Thomas, yeah. Anybody else? Uh, oh, yeah, Victor Oladipo. Yeah, Victor Oladipo. Yeah, he was, uh, yeah, he was, uh, he was playing there when I went to school there, so it was great watching him and uh, become a rising star. I believe he was a walk-on originally. So as we're looking at Indiana University players, uh, here I am thinking, oh, this, is, this dates me uh, a little bit because, well, I, didn't, I wasn't old enough to know when Larry Bird was going to college. I don't even think I was born yet because I caught just the tail end of Larry Bird's professional career. Uh, but I had always thought that he went to Indiana University, which it turns out I may be half right, Scott. 
Yeah, he went there originally and uh, when Bobby Knight was still the head coach. And I know there was some trouble between the two. So I believe uh, Larry Bird then ended up transferring to Indiana State and finished out his career there. So there you go. The great Larry Bird went to uh, two versions of Indiana. Scott, like to hear uh, maybe a little bit about your legal background and what you bring to the firm and some of your past experiences and really what you can do to help some of our clients out. Sure. So I started off um, doing a PIP defense, which is no fault insurance defense uh, for a couple of years as my first uh, job practicing. Then after that, I've, I worked for over a year and a half or so in uh, plaintiff's personal injury um, at a firm in St. Petersburg, doing a lot of medical malpractice, car accidents, uh, slip and falls and the like. And then now since uh, July, mid-July, I've been here um, doing a lot, a lot of the same thing. So. And here we predominantly handle car crash cases. We don't really do uh, anything. Uh, not that we don't really do anything. We don't do anything along the lines of medical malpractice. How are you adjusting to kind of the day-to-day of just focusing on one area, and that area being car crashes? I, I've done it for a couple of years, so I already feel like I, I know what I'm doing, and I feel like I fit in pretty well. Um, getting to know all the clients and getting caught up to speed on on all the files. So it's, uh, I feel like it's been a pretty easy transition for me compared to, I guess, you know, first starting off in plaintiff personal injury or first starting off in, in, uh, PIP defense, it, you know, that learning curve, I didn't have that here. So it's been nice to, uh, just step, step into the position and understand what I'm doing, I guess. So what would you say the most rewarding thing has been for you in your legal career? Well, that's a good question. Um, meeting my wife, I met her in law school. Um, I know that's a terrible answer, and I think she'll she would appreciate it. Um, what's been the most rewarding thing? I don't know. Um, I think there's been a lot, uh, mostly just like self growth and watching my understanding of the law just progress. And now I think here I've been given the chance to, uh, litigate a lot more cases and to really get my feet wet on cases. So, um, we'll see where it goes, I guess. Very good. Very good. And and I think, as you mentioned your previous firm, they did a lot of strictly litigation in the car crash cases. Uh, here we handle, the whole gamut from the beginning of a case. So uh, pre-litigation all the way through the actual litigation side of it. Has it been any kind of an adjustment period for you getting used to the pre-litigation side? Yeah. Dealing with a lot of, a lot more of the uh, medical providers and, and making sure our clients are, you know, keeping us informed in th- on things versus already being in litigation and understanding, you know, okay, here's the discovery and just going through the typical motions and depositions and the typical flow of a case versus pre-litigation, various things can happen um, that you don't expect. So it's, it's making sure you're up, keeping updated with your, uh, with your clients and just the constant communication. So communication is definitely uh, one of the key points with all of the clients. And we've talked a lot about school and what you do in the office every day. 
But how about when you leave here and on the weekends? What is what is a typical day in the life of Scott Brown look like outside of the office? Uh, hanging out with my wife and our golden retriever buddy, um, and just hanging out with friends, going to Disney, going to the beach, uh, trying to enjoy living in Florida um, versus you know cold Indiana winters. So it, I'll, I'll take it any day. It turns out in Florida we don't have a whole lot along the lines of winters. So I hope you're not looking for snow and cold. No, no, not at all. Look, uh, more sunshine, please. And those of you who don't know uh, and maybe haven't seen it on social media anywhere else, we have the Lawfather Jeep. And uh, as an added bonus, we found out after bringing Scott on board that he is a member of the Jeep crew. Okay, so uh, we park outside every day in our parking lot. We have matching Jeeps right next to each other so uh kind of a little interesting aside there about scott so let's look at generally we have some listener questions and today is no different scott are you up for answering a listener question let's go for it all right as always i read these questions before and uh really putting scott on the spot here because i answer them live all i do is read the question beforehand so i'm going to read the question to scott and he is going to have to try to give us an answer to the best of his legal ability and i I really hope he gets it right Uh, otherwise we may have some remedial training to take care of here Uh, i kid um yeah not all of his questions are easy but the question goes like this scott i went to a doctor three weeks after the crash and I'm hearing that I don't have any insurance coverage. Why don't I have any insurance coverage? Who's going to take care of my medical bills? Scott, do you know the answer to that? It depends. That is the typical law school answer, but can we dive a little bit deeper into how that all works in the personal injury field and what we would typically see and how it would typically work? Sure. So, um, if no treatment, If the client or the person getting treatment didn't seek treatment within 14 days after the accident, then they wouldn't qualify for PIP or no-fault insurance, which if you seek treatment within 14 days after a motor vehicle accident, then you're entitled in the state of Florida to $10,000 of insurance coverage, no fault of your own, to pay doctor's bills. Um, 80% of the bills will get paid through that. Um, So... Then if, if it says you're covered, well, that's kind of a loaded question. You might have PIP and you might not have gotten treatment within that time, but there's still maybe bodily injury coverage uh, to go get. So whether or not you have uninsured mo- or underinsured motors coverage versus bodily injury coverage, uh, that'll be the determination and getting with the insurance companies um, after the fact to, to uh, determine coverage. So what it really boils down to is you still have the ability to get treatment. You may not be able to qualify under your personal injury protection benefits because through those benefits, you have to treat within the first 14 days. Uh, You also have to have an emergency medical condition to take you from $2,500 to $10,000. And what I mean by that is if you're not diagnosed with an emergency medical condition as a result of the crash, then your benefits stop at $2,500. Although I have not seen uh, recently the insurance companies really pushing that. Uh, USAA used to push that a while back and uh, they would pay out the 2500 and then uh, they would basically force the providers to give them the medical records that showed uh, that there was an emergency medical condition. But like I said, I haven't seen that come up in a while. Issues seem to ebb and flow uh, on this side of things. So to answer the question, 
there is likely some way to recover money uh, as a result of the crash. Uh, there's likely a way to pay those medical bills as it relates to the personal injury protection. If your if your first medical treatment is three weeks after the crash, highly li- highly unlikely that your personal injury protection is going to chip in and pay. Uh, it's statutory. And generally speaking, insurance companies will do everything they possibly can to avoid paying you or to pay you as little as they possibly can. Uh, as I've said in the past, uh, when you're dealing with insurance companies, you're not in good hands and they're not your good neighbor. Okay. It's a little cutesy thing, but really keep that in mind. Uh, if you've been in a crash and you have your medical bills to look out for, and you have the insurance company calling you and asking you for more information. And as you may have noticed, kind of in, in the answer between Scott and myself, these issues are very convoluted. They're very difficult to work through. It really highlights the need for an attorney. So I do encourage anybody who has been in a crash who has these questions. If you're not calling the law father, that's okay. You call somebody. I would rather hear that somebody that, that somebody was hurt in a crash and they at least called and talked to a lawyer than to hear that they didn't talk to any lawyer. So that being said, as always, check us out on social media, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. All of those things really help us out a lot. And uh, if we've helped you out in the past and you want to leave us a Google review, I do invite you to do that. Uh, we do have our office here on Howard at Howard and Kennedy, and we have our Riverview office at 301 and Big Ben Road. And like I said, we want to welcome Scott to the team here as uh, we continue to grow and continue to do new and bigger things as we, we grow and grow and grow and uh, support all of our new clients and provide A-plus service to all of them. That is the show for today. Lawfather out. This is an In the Trenches with Ian Beckles quick fix on Radio Influence. But there's going to be protests. And, you know, protests are a funny thing. Bruce Arians came out after practice and he said basically... um, he challenges players to commit to actions beyond protesting when addressing social issues, like obviously racial inequality. And, you know, the way Bruce said it, I think rubs some people the wrong way. I know what he was saying. What he's saying is protests ain't doing jack if you're not doing anything other than the protesting. And I agree wholeheartedly. In the Trenches with Ian Beckles can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.